Thanks for listening to another episode of Orion's From the Battlefield to the Boardroom podcast. With 2019 coming to an end, you may be considering the things that you'd like to improve to help you land a job next year. The job search process has changed in recent years, and what once worked to land a job may now be considered outdated. In this episode, we're going to discuss some of the common myths and misconceptions about your career search that it may benefit you to leave in 2019. Amy West, a Navy veteran and Orion recruiter, joins the show to discuss some of the job searching advice you may have received in the past and what you might want to consider instead. If you're someone who's afraid of being labeled a job hopper, you avoid applying to jobs unless you have 100% of the qualifications, or if you avoid asking for more money because you don't want to offend employers, this episode will help you conquer those fears and many more. If you have any questions about this podcast, please send me an email at podcast at oriontalent.com. Hey, Amy, welcome back. Hey, Megan, thanks for having me again. Yes, I love having you on the podcast. You always provide a lot of great insight, and um, I'm sure some of the candidates that are listening have worked with you before, but for anyone who hasn't or has not heard you on a previous show, can you go ahead and just give us a quick introduction? Yeah, absolutely. So I was in the Navy for five years. I was a GSC, a gas turbine electrician. I got out of the Navy in 2018. Orion is my first post-military job and hopefully my last one. I love it here. And so I've been here for about one year, just hit one year, November 11th. And here we are. That's awesome. And you're in our Virginia Beach office. So you're for, or correct. Am I wrong when I say that? <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm out of the Virginia okay. Beach office. So I cover the Northeast okay, cool. region. Perfect. So if anyone who has attended conferences or is looking for a job in that region, they may have worked with you in the past. So like I said, thank you so much for being on with me today. As we are kind of wrapping up 2019 and approaching the new year, a lot of job seekers, especially those who've been on the market for a long time, really want to make sure that they do something different in 2020 to make sure that they land you know, their dream job. So in order to do that, I think a lot of job seekers have some bad habits that they can shed, and we want to shed some light on those. And we put together a list of some of the things that we hear from candidates, and then also a few that I found online. So I just wanted to talk through the list and get your input on each of these as a recruiter and really just get some advice from you on what you would tell candidates if if they come to you with one of these, um, we'll just call them, I guess, job seeker bad habits. So. Number one on the list is considering job searching to be a full-time job. And I think I'm guilty of this. I feel like I probably have said that in the past when I was looking for a job. So um, I, I know that we're saying that that's not what you should do. You shouldn't consider it to be a full-time job. So what can you give us some input on this one? Yeah, absolutely. Job searching is not rocket science. And it should not take you a very long time, especially if you already have created a couple different resumes that are tailored to your different skill sets. It should realistically take you about 20 minutes of searching or so, whether you're on Indeed or the Orion website, whatever search tool you're using, you should spend about 20 to 30 minutes searching for positions to apply to. And then if you need to customize your resume for that job, that might be another couple more minutes as well. 
changing up your cover letter, and then 20 minutes or so networking with people, searching for the company employees on LinkedIn, stuff like that. It should only be taking you an hour or two per day to search for jobs. And I think when people say this, sometimes it can be a cop-out because, you know, maybe they feel like they are putting a lot of time into it. But I think if you're doing it efficiently, then it can go by so much faster and be ultimately more productive. You know, you're going to yield more results and you're going to have more time to get back to whatever else you have going on, whether you have a job currently or you know, you're just looking for a job and you're transitioning out of the military, obviously you could use that time elsewhere. I'm sure that, you know, you didn't have an abundance of time when you were transitioning out. I'm sure you would have liked to have some of that time back if your job search was a little bit more efficient. Yeah, absolutely. Once you get into a groove of things with your job search, it'll just come naturally to you. You'll see a position, maybe an advertisement for a job or a company in your area click apply, send your resume in, and then you're good to go. Okay, so then number two is job hopping is bad for your future career. And I'm curious to hear your input on this just because I do know that it still is something that recruiters, in my mind, sort of have a conflicting opinion on because, one, it kind of depends on the situation, like really, you know, how much are you job hopping? But I know it's something that's also a concern to people who are looking for jobs. So what do you think about this one? Ooh, that is a great topic. And I could probably do an entire podcast just about job hopping, to be honest with you. But I'll keep it short. I do think that there is something of a um, generational gap and difference of opinion between maybe millennials and then um, more middle-aged to older people who are more likely to be a hiring authority. I think that for people who are my age, changing jobs every year or two isn't seen as detrimental to your career, and it's not seen in a negative light. It's seen more of as um, diversifying your skill set, uh, creating new experiences for yourself, and those are all very positive things. But then there's also companies who look at a resume, they see four to five jobs in less than 10 years, and they say this person isn't going to stick around, they're not worth my time to train. So you should never be afraid to change jobs if you're unhappy or you're not growing. But at the same time, just be conscious of your resume and how many different positions you're going to end up putting on there. Because there's companies that will look at it and say, this person is not worth my time and investment to train them for this position because they're just going to leave in two years. Mm -hmm. And I think that this one, the reason why they're, you know, why it can be kind of debunked is like a, such a negative thing for job hopping. Obviously, like I said, it, it sort of depends. And like you said, it depends on how many positions you're going to put on your resume. If you're going to have something new every three months, obviously that's going to be a red flag. But if it's within reason, really, it's, you know, it shows the employer who's looking at your resume that you're someone who doesn't want to be stagnant in your career and you're always looking for growth and development. And then also, I mean, I've been here at Orion for a little over six years now. And sometimes when you're at a company for so long, you do kind of lose perspective and maybe you're not as 
um, you don't have as many fresh ideas to bring to the table. So maybe, you know, sometimes it can make you a more attractive candidate if it shows that you've been able to kind of move around to different companies and adapt and succeed. It absolutely does. Um, I would say three to five years is kind of uh, the golden length of time to stay at a certain position if you aren't moving up at a certain company. Now, there's nothing wrong with changing jobs. I don't want to give off that impression. But if I look at a resume and there's 10 different jobs on there and every single one of them lasted a year or less, that's going to raise the red flag for me. And when I send that resume to a hiring manager, they're going to ask me for an explanation about why this person changed jobs so many times. So just be mindful as you're going through your career. Um, employers are looking for someone who's going to show a certain amount of longevity and aspire to grow mm -hmm. as a company. Of course, hiring managers are also reasonable. Most of them did not have one job for their entire life. They don't expect you to have one job for your entire life. But they do want to know that you're going to give your best effort at their company and become a asset for them. Mm -hmm. It's kind of striking that balance. And if you feel like maybe your resume makes you look like you're a job hopper, then that's something you work with your recruiter on. Hey, how do I best, um, you know, display everything that I've done in a way that doesn't make it look like I don't stick around long? So there's always kind of ways that you can not necessarily work around it, but at least try to mitigate it a little bit. Absolutely. And there's all kinds of reasons someone can change jobs frequently. A lot of times if you're working multiple contracts, that's very easily explainable. You just write contract next to the job and everyone's going to understand that. Or if you have a family issue that causes you to change jobs or a health problem, something like that. These things are common. They happen a lot employers understand. Mm -hmm. So the third bad habit that we're telling our job seekers to leave behind in 2019 is not applying to a job unless you meet 100% of the qualifications. Now, pretty much, I think this is something that, you know, discourages candidates from applying a lot is they look at the requirements and they think, oh, I have 90% of those, but I don't have the other 10%. And we know that that's completely fine because really, I mean, how many applicants are going to have 100% of the qualifications? So what advice would you give to someone who was hesitant about applying for positions unless they had all of the qualifications? If you are looking at a job posting and you have 50 to 75% of the qualifications that they're looking for, go ahead and apply. Most companies understand that they're going to have to train you on certain things. Even if you meet all the qualifications, they're still going to have to train you on the way that they do things in their operations. So go ahead and apply. Now, on the flip side, if you're looking at a job posting and you don't have any of the qualifications, if you're an electrician applying for, say, a diesel mechanic job, maybe that's not the best fit for you unless you want to go back to school and learn that skill set. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I did an episode just a couple weeks ago with Mike Wood, and we were talking about how you could tailor your resume essentially to be noticed in the job search process, and especially for um, positions that you're applying to online, which is really what we're focusing on here. And one of the things that we discussed was just how a lot of applicant tracking systems that most companies use have an algorithm that 
you know, they're using artificial intelligence to identify specific keywords um, to really assess whether a candidate is a good fit. And that might be the thing that gets you out of process before anyone, a human, even lays eyes on your resume. And so what I would say, Amy, just to add to everything that you said is if you don't have 100% of the qualifications, then you just want to make sure, too, that you're updating your resume to make sure that you're highlighting those keywords that are in the job description to where your resume is still going to be seen. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. And this is another instance where working with a recruiter can be a really great tool for job seekers because when you're working with a recruiter, your resume is being reviewed by them before it goes to the hiring manager. And you bypass the applicant tracking system, so your resume is getting directly in front of the person who's going to make the ultimate hiring decision. It's not going through HR, it's going straight to that person. So if you have questions, um, if you need help tailoring your job to a certain position, sorry, tailoring your resume to a certain position, a recruiter can be a really valuable resource for you. Mm -hmm. Which is the perfect segue for the next bad habit we should leave behind, which is thinking that your resume is the most important job search tool and thinking that's the end all be all. Like I've got a great resume, I'm gonna go ahead and submit it online and sit back and see what happens. Obviously that's not an effective job seeking strategy. I think most people know that by now, but um, I think it still happens a lot just because of the ease at which you can apply for jobs online. So. What what do you think, what kind of advice do you have for people on kind of what are the most, the more important tools, I should say, versus just relying on your resume to get you the job? So, first of all, I'd just like to say your resume is still very important, and you should have a well-constructed, professional, detailed resume. You need to have that. That is step one. Now, step two is get out there on LinkedIn, get on Facebook get on Career Builder, reach out to people you know, network, because if people don't know that you're putting your resume out there, they're probably not going to find it. And you don't want to leave money on the table by letting great opportunities slide by. Definitely. And like you said, but working with a recruiter can always, once you have that resume, because of course, even if you're not like actively seeking a job, you should always keep your resume updated. But working with a recruiter can really get you in your foot in the door and get you past the algorithms that we mentioned a minute ago um, and help. So a resume, of course, is important and it's something that you must have in your toolkit if you're looking for a job, but it's not going to be the end-all be-all either. Absolutely. And if you post your resume on LinkedIn, it can help recruiters find you. If you post it on your Facebook, maybe I see that happening a lot. There's different Facebook groups for different professionals where they all work together, they talk to each other, they're sharing information about openings, about resources that can help you find a job. There's a lot of really great tools out there, but if you're just putting your resume on Indeed and waiting for people to come to you, it might take a while. Mm -hmm, definitely. Now the next one is related to resumes as well, and I did cover this again a little bit in my podcast with Mike, what, a couple weeks ago, but one of the bad habits that we're recommending, you know, getting rid of and not, you know, not focusing on too much in 2020 is limiting your resume to two pages. 
Now, some people used to say it needs to be one page. Some people recommend still leaving it at one page. Some people say two is the absolute max. Um, I guess really what's your opinion on this? Because, you know, this is, like I said, when we put together this list, there's some that we hear from candidates and then some that I found online. This is one that I found online, and I'm not sure that I completely agree with because I'm sure there can be some times where it's, you know, necessary to have the resume that exceeds two pages, but I feel like in general, you should be able to get your point across in two pages. So what's your opinion on this one? I am a pretty firm believer in two pages or less. It's asking a lot of a recruiter, of a hiring manager to send them an eight-page document and ask them to read through every single thing that you've done and every job you've ever had. Now, if you're a professional with 20, 30, 40 years of work experience, then it makes sense to me that you can't condense it into two pages while still conveying your different skill sets and the work that you did with each company. But if you're younger, if you're in your 20s, 30s, and you're on the job hunt, you really shouldn't have so much information that you can't fit it into two pages, if that makes sense. Yes, I think that makes sense. And because of that, I think we'll change this one as we're in the middle of it to just one page. Because I think we can agree that two pages is acceptable. Don't get hung up on trying to make it fit on one page. But for the most part, most of the candidates that we work with and most of the people listening to this, you probably should not need to exceed two pages. And if you are, then it could be like, for instance, when I talked to Mike about it a couple weeks ago, um, he had mentioned, you know, maybe you're putting stuff on there that's not relevant or maybe there's formatting issues or something that's causing it to be too long. And so you want to make sure that you've got all those things ruled out before, you know, you think, oh, my resume is good to go and it's three pages because there's some statistic about how long it actually takes a recruiter to scan a resume and it's a very short amount of time. I want to say a matter of seconds, essentially. And so if you have that many pages, of course, that's less information that they're even going to see about you. Your resume at the end of the day should be a snapshot of you as a professional it shouldn't be a scrapbook or a photo album. We just want to see the snapshot. Who are you? What can you do? How can you add value? That's what we need to know. And anybody who is articulate and knows how to write a resume should be able to condense it into two pages. If you need help, if you're not sure where to go, if you have a six-page resume and you have no idea how to chop it down to two, reach out to one of us here to Ryan. We have tools that we can send to you, and we can also provide uh, resume reviews, feedback, whatever you need. We're here to help. Mm -hmm. Now, the next one on the list also related to resumes, but it's almost on the opposite end of the spectrum where maybe, you know, you're condensing your resume too much. So a bad habit that we're recommending that you do not bring with you into the new year is only including bulleted lists on your resume of your job description. Because essentially, that's not really getting across the type of value that you're going to bring to the position that you're applying for. Do you see that a lot? Do you see some candidates that are just really overusing bullets and basically providing um, they're essentially their job description versus what they actually did. And what would your advice to them be? So I've seen resumes that go from bullet points with single words to bullet points with paragraphs. 
written about it. Um, my recommendation is to use the STAR method with bullet points. So each bullet point will have a sentence that is formatted using the STAR method, which is situation, task, action, and result. That time and time again is the most effective way to write a resume. That's what I recommend. And I think that is very good advice. So moving on, the next one is someone that, you know, thinks that it's always the most qualified person that gets the job. And, you know, you have that kind of thinking where, of course, it seems like it makes sense where, you know, the person who has, like we talked about earlier, 100% of the qualifications, they're the one that's going to get it. But there's other things that go into it, too. So having the mindset that if I'm the most qualified, I'm the one that's going to get the job isn't necessarily going to do you any favors. And, you know, we're recommending that you look at it a little bit differently. So how would you recommend candidates look at this instead of thinking that, you know, it's just the most qualified person who will get the job? So this is a tough question because obviously the employer needs someone who is qualified to do the job. But just because you are not necessarily the best on paper doesn't mean you could you should discount yourself from getting the job. Employers are going to hire people that they like more often than not. If you have all the skills in the world, every single wicket on the job description, but you go into an interview and you're rude or they feel like you would be toxic to their culture or just not gel well in general with their team, there's a good chance that they're not going to bring you on no matter how good you are. Whereas, say, you don't meet all of the wickets, but you meet enough of them, and you're eager, you're kind, you're trainable, you're going to be an asset to them and fit in well, and they can teach you the stuff that you're missing, then they'll probably go with that person over someone who has more skills but can't work with other people. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you. It's, it is a little bit of a tough question to answer because you don't want to make it seem like if they like you and you don't have the qualifications that you're in a better position to get the job than someone who has all the qualifications that they don't necessarily like. Because I think, like you said, at the end of the day, people are more likely to hire people that they want to be around. And I mean, we see it time and time again. That's just really, that is the reality of the situation. But at the same time, you have to really strike the balance of having the qualifications, interviewing well, and also just being a good fit for the position and a good fit for the team overall. Absolutely. I agree with that 100%. Okay. So one more resume question is that I have for you, and just to get your advice on this one, is I think a bad habit that people have in their job search is having one version of their resume and they feel like, okay, this is my perfect version of my resume. This is going to be the one that I use for everything. But what we're trying to kind of get across and say moving forward in 2020, you might have a better, you might have better luck finding a job if you have different versions of your resume. So what type of input do you have there and what advice do you typically give to candidates on having different versions of their resume for different positions that they're applying to. So I recommend putting a good amount of thought into your job search. If you are going on Monster or Indeed and you're hitting one click apply on every single job that's available in your area, 
then obviously you're not tailoring your resume to each position. But if you go on a website, if you go on the Orion site, Indeed, Google Jobs, whatever it is you want to use, LinkedIn, and you look at the job list and you target three or four that really match your skill set, you know that you would be a good candidate for the job. It's something that you're interested in. Take a few minutes, tailor your resume to the position, and then send it in, especially if a cover letter is required. You definitely want to customize the cover letter. I talk to a lot of hiring managers who won't even look at a resume if a cover letter is not tailored for the position because a lot of times it's seen as a lack of attention to detail, which can be a huge turnoff to potential employers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they want to know that you're selectively applying for their job and not just, you know, there are some easy ways to apply for jobs. LinkedIn has their, um, Amy, you probably know what the feature is called, but there's essentially a way that you can pretty much just apply to jobs with your profile. And so some employers make it easy for you to do that, but I think at the end of the day, they still want to know that you're seeking them out because it lets them know that you're going to be a better fit long-term because, you know, you're interested in their company, you're interested in the position. It's not like you're just scrolling through, you know, and applying to 100 jobs in 10 minutes with your LinkedIn profile. And there's nothing wrong with applying to jobs on the LinkedIn profile. Obviously, you know, they have that tool to make it so that it is easier. There are companies that participate in that. But like you said, tailoring your resume, having a cover letter, something that shows them, especially if it is something that you're really interested in, Um, say you've applied to 10 jobs that day, but this is your top one that you want to apply for, then maybe you spend a little bit more time on that one. Sure. It's all subjective. It all depends on the situation and the individual. And certain positions are going to require a more tailored resume than others. Mm -hmm. Okay, so moving on, the next one is kind of tricky, I think, for most job seekers or really even anybody that has a job because money is something that a lot of people feel uncomfortable talking about. Maybe they get a job offer and everything else seems great, but they're not super happy with the salary. So um, one of the bad habits we're recommending to leave behind in 2019 is not asking for more money out of fear of offending employers. And the way I kind of look at this is that, you know, it's business. So while you want to ask within reason for, you know, a salary negotiation, I don't know that you have to like really get emotions involved in it and feel like you're offending somebody, but I know that's also easier said than done. So what advice do you have on this one? In my opinion, a hiring manager or whoever it is that you're interviewing with for a job, if they're a seasoned professional, then they're not going to become offended by you asking for more money as long as you do it in a respectful way, if that makes sense. So there's a difference between negotiating and demanding and learning to walk that line and stay on the professional negotiation side is very different from walking in with a list of demands. Mm -hmm. But And also factoring in the full benefit. Oh, sorry, Amy, I was going to say also factoring in the full benefits package. Some companies, maybe the salary is a little bit lower, but they've got other things like tuition reimbursement and, you know, like their 401k is great, better than what you had previously. So there's other things to factor in too. 
Absolutely. Right now, I have a job open for an electrician that the hourly rate is a little bit lower than the average pay for that area, but they offer a 100% pension after only 20 years plus fully paid medical insurance. So those things would definitely offset the slightly lower hourly salary and pay off in the long term, which makes it a really great job. But at first glance, yeah, the hourly pay is a little bit lower. But look into the whole package. Look at what you're getting. Are you getting a take-home company car that's going to remove your car payment or decrease your household to one car payment? Are you getting a paid-for cell phone, a home office setup, internet? Um, There's a lot of different things to take into consideration when looking at an offer. And if you get an offer letter, you calculate your total comp, what you're actually going to be making, your cost savings, benefits packages. Take all that into consideration, and it's not what you need to be happy, then absolutely. Go ask for more if you're worth it and you know that you're worth it. Mm-hmm. I think that's great advice. And then, you know, it's also another it's another um, way to look at the benefits of working with a recruiter is, you know, I'm sure when you have a candidate who's not happy with the salary, they're able to talk to you about it. You're able to talk to our sales team who can talk to the client. So there's kind of that buffer there. And I think that if you are someone who inherently feels a little bit uncomfortable talking about stuff like this and negotiating salaries, working with a recruiting team can be beneficial because it can help kind of make that situation a little bit less awkward to where you're not really the one having the one-on-one salary negotiations. Oh, definitely. And myself and the other recruiters here at Orion, we regularly negotiate on behalf of our candidates because we want to get you the best offer possible. We're motivated to do that. So we're going to do whatever we can to get you where you want to be. But we also need our candidates to be realistic and research themselves and have a realistic understanding of what they're worth and also understanding the market that they're in. Mm -hmm. Yes, I would say, you know, when we're talking about the bad habits they leave behind, that's one to adopt moving forward for 2020 is knowing your market value because that's where this one really starts. If you're going to negotiate your salary, you have to know what you're worth because, like I said, you can't give an outrageous number that would never be met. So in order to know if you're within the right range, you have to do a little bit of homework. Definitely. And a lot of it comes down to cost of living of the area that you're in. Now, I can get you a much higher offer in New York City than I can in the middle of nowhere rural area. Mm-hmm, definitely. Okay, so the last one on the list that we put together is only looking for jobs online. Um, this one's pretty self-explanatory, I think, like we've said about, you know, the benefits of working with a recruiter. Really, when you're posting your resume online, you're applying for jobs, it's it's so hit or miss on whether or not your resume will actually be seen based on the keywords, the systems that we talked about earlier. So do you have any advice beyond that for this last one? Absolutely. Um, When you apply for a job online, depending on where you're applying, it's going to get sent to the applicant tracking system, and then it could be a while before somebody checks in. So 
if you find a recruiter in your industry, if you're prior military or a technical candidate, reach out to us at Orion. There's different recruiting firms who work with different professionals than what we do if you can't get your needs met by us. And just talk to a person, talk to a human being, call as many people as you can because you never know who knows what jobs are open at any given time, right? Um, most jobs are filled via referral. And so if you just open up your network and start communicating, good things are going to come your way. Mm -hmm. And it could be from someone you don't even expect. You could be getting a haircut or you could be talking to, you know, someone that you were in the military with five years ago and you mentioned that you're looking for a job and they know of something that's open. So I would say other than, of course, if you are currently employed, you don't want to go around necessarily advertising that you're looking for a new job, but um, just telling the right people and, you know, making sure that you're getting the word out there can, it can do a lot. And it's not to say that you shouldn't apply for jobs online because obviously Orion, we have tons of jobs online as well. It's just, I think looking at that as one of the prongs in your job search approach, but not the entire thing. Sure. Just talking to people is the best thing that you can do to strike up a conversation. If you're in line at the grocery store or maybe you're at the gym waiting for a machine, something like that, just talk to people, make your network bigger. So now that we've wrapped up that list, and like I said, we're closing out 2019, talking about things that we should leave behind that might be holding us back from getting a job in 2020. I also wanted to just quickly talk about the fact that, you know, we are entering into one of the best times of the year to look for a job. Most of the things that, you know, I that I know just about us being in the recruiting industry and also um, just some research that I've done on it, it seems like January to February is really the ideal time. So I just wanted to see what you thought from your experience, you know, really why is this time a good time, particularly for job seekers, and, you know, what should they know about it? Why should that kind of light a fire and motivate them? January and February are great times to get on the job market because the holidays are over. Most companies have just gotten their yearly hiring budgets approved. So they know how much they can spend to hire new employees. They know what their needs are for the upcoming year, and they're going to be motivated to fill those quickly. Additionally, it's not summertime, which is when a lot of people are going on vacation. Kids are still in school. They're not out for the summer. So people have a lot more time to actually be at work in January and February. They're also generally a lot happier because it's the new year, and I think there is something to be said for um, the positivity that January and February bring just in general. Mm -hmm. Definitely, and um, to your point, Amy, I think then another good thing to keep in mind is that you don't have to then say, I'm going to hit the ground running in January. You can still kind of lay the groundwork and do all of the things that we've talked about previously over the course of this discussion in terms of, you know, networking, like you were saying, just talk to people, expand your network. You can do all of that leading up to, it doesn't have to be an all at once type of thing because you never know, maybe someone that you talked to months ago ends up being someone who connects you to a new company in January. So it's really just, you know, keeping your options open, trying to get started early and, you know, laying the groundwork so that it doesn't feel like, oh, no, it's the new year now, and now I have to 
start everything, just, you know, you can start things gradually. Absolutely. It doesn't have to be a one-step process. You can start any time. You can put more effort towards your job search at any time. Maybe you pull back. You want to stay put for a minute. There's really no wrong way to do it other than to take no initiative at all. Mm-hmm. Now, the the last thing I kind of want to get your perspective on is Um, You know, you've talked about the fact that you are a big proponent of being strategic in your job search. And we've had an episode on kind of, you know, being strategic in your job search, but making sure that you're staying organized so that, you know, you're able to um, be efficient. Just going back to the first thing that we talked about, where some people consider looking for a job, a full-time job. And that really shouldn't be the case. So from your perspective, what are some of your top tips for getting organized for your job search before the new year begins? That's a great question, Megan. I would say number one is keep your resume updated. Don't wait until the last minute. You want to keep an updated resume template, and you can easily customize your resume for a specific job using that template. So maybe every quarter or twice a year, set alarm in your phone, just a reminder to take a look at it, spruce it up every now and then. I would also say see if you can increase any skills or add new experiences. There's a lot of short programs you can complete very quickly. Maybe you want to get back in school, but education is really a never-ending story. So you want to be continuously striving to become a more marketable person constantly. You don't want to wait until you're in a bad situation. Maybe you have a layoff impending or you have an unexpected life change occur and you find yourself back on the market with no new skills to add to your resume. So just focus on prolific quality output and continuous improvement all the time. And my third tip would be don't give up. Sometimes job hunting can be very frustrating. It can be, it can take a lot out of you, especially if you aren't getting a lot of traction. But just stick with it, know your skill set, have a good resume, be open to the unexpected, and it'll pay off eventually. And I do think that, you know, the beginning of the year kind of makes people, um, it kind of gives you a renewed sense of focus and energy towards whatever it is that, you know, you're, that you want to get accomplished that year. And so hopefully all the things that we've talked about now and the tips that you just provided when someone's listening to this at the end of the year or early in the year and inspires them to, you know, just kind of take the bull by the horns and really use 2020 and make it their best job search. Yeah, absolutely. If you need any help at all, give me a call. Awesome. Well, Amy, I really appreciate you joining, and I will speak with you next time. Thanks, Megan. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode of Orion's From the Battlefield to the Boardroom podcast. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud so that you never miss an episode. We'd love to hear from you. So if you have any feedback, please send me an email at podcast at oriontalent.com. Our goal is to help all military job seekers through their transition and beyond. So make sure you share our show with your friends. See you next time.